0: You and FTR! You to the end to the FTR I'm fucking the republic, beating people where they are Left, right, center, make you laugh, make you cry Brings the heat of a basic white guy me. Could've run for office, could've got up off his ass hey. Could've made something other than a fucking podcast But here we are, y'all, the UNFPR show Many faces ripping the script with fuckers around the globe And Brigitte brings it back for Tom McGovern, let's go Unfuckers, Uncanuckers, you're a fuckers 99 on the fuckers and some fuckers, they all like they fucking mine From New York to Outer Gami, Halifax to New Zealand Say it loud, say it with me, yo, yo fuck, fuck Milton Friedman Freeman. The uber-wealthy in this country, no, no, the uber-wealthy on this planet, have truly pulled off a grift for the ages. But US grifters are in a league of their own. Somehow, the top 10% of the 1% have managed to convince average citizens that they are a protected class. The job creators, individual engines of the capitalist system, rare birds of prey that must be coddled and preserved like an endangered species. There's no reason to rehash how the upper echelon of the billionaire class has amassed more wealth than the rest of the inhabitants of the planet. But a quick recap of the numbers couldn't hurt. Oxfam released a report at the beginning of 2023 highlighting the extraordinary gains made among the wealthiest earthlings. 99, how'd they do?
1: Oxfam reports that, quote, during the pandemic and cost of living crisis years since 2020, 26 trillion, 63% of all new wealth was captured by the richest 1% while $16 trillion, 37%, went to the rest of the world put together. A billionaire gained roughly $1.7 million for every $1 of new global wealth earned by a person in the bottom 90%. Billionaire fortunes have increased by $2.7 billion a day, end quote.
0: Wow. Well, well, well. $2.7 billion per day. When asked to pay their fair share of this windfall, every billionaire responded pretty much the same way. I'm sure we'll be seeing each other real soon. I'm sure. Good luck on that subway ride home to your miserable, ugly fucking wives. I'm gonna have Heidi lick some caviar off my balls in the meantime. Hey, you guys wanna take some lobsters for your ride home? Making this kind of money is one thing, hiding it is another thing entirely. So let's talk about it.
1: Unfucking the Republic is brought to you by overcaffeinated members Nathan Surst, Nettie Hugger1, Pete M., Rob Nasby, Rodrigo G., Ryan F., Sultan, Specker, Terry C., the younger PDX Squatch, William N., W. Jeremy D., and the memory of Nettie McGee.
0: Chapter 1. The Magnitude of the Problem. We're going to focus on the U.S. today, but it's only fair to acknowledge that billionaire tax cheats are everywhere. Ours just happen to be the best at it. The reason we know about some specific people is the result of some miraculous reporting and whistleblowers. One specific data dump, known as the Pandora Papers, for example, revealed that major political leaders from the following countries were all hiding money in offshore accounts.
1: Angola, Sri Lanka, Tunisia, Bulgaria, Serbia, Pakistan, Brazil,
0: China, Israel, Qatar, Panama, Peru, Colombia, Hong Kong, Russia, so many Russians, Morocco, Chad, Lebanon,
1: Kenya, Dominican Republic, Czech Republic, Gabon, Montenegro,
0: and Western favorites, Vladimir Zelensky and former British Prime Minister Tony Blair. I mentioned Russia, so many Russians on this list. Let's start with some basics before we get into leaks and updated reporting that uncovers the extent of the funds that are being held in offshore accounts. First off, it is not illegal to have an offshore account. There are citizens of other countries who reside in the United States who maintain accounts in other countries. There are US citizens who maintain accounts in other countries as well. There are corporations that are based in other countries with US shareholders. On the face of it, these are not illegal accounts. What's illegal is hiding them or not revealing ownership. If you're a citizen with a foreign bank account holding more than $10,000, you must declare these funds to the IRS and on special disclosure forms. There's something called the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act, FATCA, which we're going to talk a lot about, that requires the foreign entities to report the identity of the account holders to the IRS. Failure to do so can result in civil and even criminal charges. It's a good time to examine the world of offshore tax evasion for a couple of reasons. For one, it's tax season, and the average American just filed their return, or their extensions, and have just figured out whether they're getting money back or owe the government some scratch. Another reason is that the National Bureau of Economic Research just published a report titled, quote, The Offshore World According to FATCA, New Evidence on the Foreign Wealth of U.S. Households. Now, recall in prior episodes, we quoted old research that showed U.S. citizens and corporations were hiding nearly $3 trillion offshore. Well, if you can believe it, that figure has gone up. No, it's true. I know. Didn't
1: Trump offer the ability to repatriate these dollars at favorable rates?
0: He did indeed, 99. And it looks like relatively few people took him up on this very generous offer. In fact, the report estimates that around 1.5 million U.S. taxpayers held foreign financial accounts with aggregate assets of around $4 trillion in tax year 2018. By comparison, the total financial assets of U.S. households totaled roughly $80 trillion according to official financial accounts. So, essentially, one-half of 1% of the country is holding 5% of the nation's wealth offshore. First off, let me say that the reporting on this is Herculean, and the figures may be understated because the data are from 2018. The authors allow for a margin of error saying that some institutions might be less than fully compliant with reporting figures to FATCA and some of this money is legitimately held by foreign households. The takeaways from this episode are not only from the extraordinary work performed by these authors, but by International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, or ICIJ, which is the gold standard on reporting on leaked documents. As far as the FATCA data are concerned, here are some key highlights. more than 60% of the individuals in the top 0.01% of the income distribution own foreign accounts, either directly or indirectly through a pass-through entity. By comparison, this fraction is less than 40% for the bottom half of the top 0.1%, less than 20% for the bottom half of the top 1%, and less than 5% for the bottom half of the top 10%. In other words, all of the money is held by the top 10%, but the vast majority is held by relatively few people at the very, very top. One of the ways that individuals can hold this wealth without necessarily reporting it directly as an individual taxpayer is through a pass-through entity, which can be owned by other entities, which may themselves be held by another entity. Essentially shell corporations designed to hide beneficial ownership.
1: How many of these do you have?
0: Hmm, like five or six. I mean, nothing extravagant. That's how I pay for the UNFTR helicopter. Anywho, FATCA came about as part of the Restore Employment Act of 2010 in an effort to crack down on the lack of reporting of foreign entities and ownership. It created new requirements for financial institutions to report account information, everything from account numbers, names, addresses, etc., or risk fines or even criminal charges. While it didn't really catch on at first, things got a little dicey when data dumps from whistleblowers and hackers started to reveal the extent of the fuckery offshore. New revelations on how the rich and the powerful hide cash are rocking countries around the world. The so-called Panama Papers contain allegations of money laundering and tax evasion. They have sparked investigations in several countries, including the United States. The offshore dealings of presidents, prime ministers, and royalty are revealed in almost 12 million files obtained by the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. They reveal the secrets of world leaders, from the King of Jordan to Vladimir Putin To Tony Blair. The original Panama Papers leak came in 2016 and shocked the financial reporting world. The files and revelations were enormous, which was astounding considering they came from a single offshore source that maintained thousands of records. Then, in 2021, a new round of documents were released called the Pandora Papers that were orders of magnitude larger and included information from 14 sources as opposed to just one. According to the ICIJ, quote, The new investigation includes data on more than 27,000 companies and 29,000 so-called ultimate beneficial owners, the real owners of shell companies, or more than twice the number of beneficial owners identified in the Panama Papers. The Pandora Papers also connected offshore activity to more than twice as many politicians and public officials as did the Panama Papers, end quote. Apart from sheltering cash in low-to-no-tax jurisdictions, the leaks revealed troves of assets from homes, yachts, and airplanes to corporate shares and artwork. Left alone to grow in value, these assets have appreciated at a much higher rate than typical returns available to average investors, because the principal remains largely intact, whereas normal people have to pay taxes on their gains. So the gains tend to accumulate much faster. The Bureau of Economic Research relies on complex formulas to estimate the rate of return for offshore accounts and offers several disclaimers because they're often pairing incomplete information from filings, GDP reporting, known or matched accounts that disclose information, and leaked information from whistleblowers. In all, it paints an interesting picture of between 5 and 6.4% returns for individuals and partnerships that hold money in offshore tax havens.
1: Unftr is also sponsored by overcaffeinated members Alfie and Flash, Awesome A, Asshole, Briex, Cindy S, David M J, Eric Wagner One Hundred One, Goat, G Wookie of Ohio, Joa, G, Marco F, Maria from PR, Matthew, Michelle H, and Nathan E.
0: Chapter Two: Leak, Uncover, Match, Report. Now, as I mentioned. The information contained within the new bureau report is from 2018, the most recent data available for them to analyze. It showed that from 2016 to 17, U.S. assets held abroad decreased slightly from $3.6 trillion to $3.2 trillion, but then surged in 2018 to $4 trillion. A couple of observations. First, the timing is bizarre because, like 99 pointed out, the Trump administration tried to repatriate corporate profits through an amnesty program through 2018. But the decline in assets abroad declined before this program. We know that funds were brought back in 2017 and 18 to the tune of 800 billion in the aggregate, which is far more than people anticipated, but far less than his promise to bring back 4 trillion. And then the figures skyrocket in 2018 and presumably beyond considering the remarkable gains made by the wealthy during the pandemic. Importantly, the funds that were repatriated were known and quantifiable. These are the funds that sat on balance sheets of publicly traded companies for everyone to see. But that certainly qualifies as offshore, so we'll give the Trump administration partial credit here for doing this. But the fact that the figures just continued to grow so substantially after pairing the FATCA data with the Pandora leaks seems to show that there's so much more being hidden than previously thought. What's difficult to wade through in the Bureau's report is the distinction between havens and tax havens, matched and unmatched funds. There are offshore havens, for example, where foreign accounts are held, but not for tax evasion purposes. These are largely reported to the IRS, traceable accounts matched to either a federal tax ID number or a valid social security number. Then there are offshore accounts that aren't matched and owned by shell companies. Then there are the kind of accounts that are held in tax havens, the real black box. While the Bureau won't give up names specifically, that's what the ICIJ is steadily doing but lacks the resources to complete the picture, so that's frustrating. The authors of the report do their best to quantify the amount of income the U.S. government is losing, but the disparity is pretty wide. Here's some quick math they provide to put this all in context before we talk about the real-world implications of tax evasion by billionaires. Of the four trillion, The Bureau seems confident that a little more than half of this is known and matched due to the increased enforcement efforts, voluntary compliance, and the associated data dumps from the leaks. I just want to state, however, that the leaks gave us tremendous insight, but they still don't represent the entire picture, and the information was so big that it still hasn't fully been vetted. So there's likely even more than what we're talking about. Anyway, I digress. So the bureau believes that there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 1.9 trillion being held offshore for the purposes of tax evasion. Just pure theft by the billionaire class. And here's where it gets tricky. Some of this is in real estate and other physical assets, some in equities, some is in fixed income, some is in cash. This is important because if we're trying to identify what's being stolen from the US treasury, we're talking about taxes that would theoretically be paid on this if it was located. Well, appreciation on assets and income from investments, income from fixed assets, business interests, etc. These are all taxed at different rates, so it's theoretically impossible to define. But they do provide some estimates. At the bottom rung, the bureau estimates that if just one third of these accounts came into compliance at a 25% tax rate, it could net 8 to 12 billion in tax revenue. At 90% compliance, however, it would net 21 to 30 billion. First off, I think we should evaluate these figures on total compliance. So let's just assume the 30 billion figure and likely higher. Secondly, Biden's new tax proposal would tax income on wealth above 100 million at a minimum rate of 25%. So this is wholly in line with what US policy would be if adopted. Chapter 3 Assessing the Impact.
1: So, what does this all mean in practical terms? You said yourself, based on MMT, that taxing the uber wealthy doesn't change much in economic terms in the U.S.
0: So, yeah, I think that's a key takeaway that is often missing from the conversation. On one hand, we've said that the United States has the ability to manage enormous deficits. So, are we really just talking about fairness? It's the Bernie Sanders line of criticism that attacks our sense of fairness and the real world inequality that exists in the United States. Billionaires simply operate with different rules, but we do have to be consistent. Repatriating these funds, let's assume it's the 1.9 trillion of hidden and unmatched funds that exist in these havens, would net the treasury 30 billion annually. In the context of our $6 trillion budget, that doesn't seem all that meaningful. It's not like we're suddenly gonna balance the budget, now, it's wrong and illegal and unfair and all of that, and if we had the ability to really chase down these offenders, they're taking an enormous risk considering the civil and criminal liability associated with evasion. And the noose is most certainly tightening because of increased transparency and in reporting. It's getting harder and harder to get away with this practice, but still, that's a lot of money not coming back into our system, and it certainly stinks of impropriety When you have certain political figures claiming that anti-poverty and entitlement programs are at risk because we quote can't afford it so there's an aspect of this that's just incongruous and corrupt but just to stay on this point for a moment it's important to note that this practice is far more destructive for economies that aren't as robust and currency sovereign as the united states as the bureau writes quote the offshore financial system can drain trillions of dollars from treasuries worsen wealth disparities, and protect those who cheat and steal while depriving their victims of recourse. Studies have estimated that the world's ultra wealthy owned the bulk of the 11 trillion realm of offshore companies, end quote. So there's no question that the bad actors siphoning funds from other less stable economies are pound for pound doing more damage than our billionaires. I'm not letting anyone here off the hook, mind you. I'm just stating the obvious. But there are other deleterious effects when it comes to our billionaire class. First off is the inability to determine how much of the wealth is illegitimate or illegal. One must assume that there is a healthy amount of money laundering from illicit activities, and that should offend every law-abiding citizen and taxpayer. The ICIJ further contextualizes American activity, saying, quote, Beyond the clients, in the context of the U.S., this is arguably the most significant offshore leak ever because it provides unprecedented insights into the trusts industry. What it shows is that the U.S. is very much open for secret business with foreigners at the same time that it forces other countries to share information about Americans banking offshore and some of the people choosing the U.S. over the world's traditional tax havens are linked to money laundering, corruption, and worker exploitation, end quote. Several reports have detailed the amount that the uber-wealthy have managed to hide in what are called dynasty trusts, designed to preserve generational wealth and avoid paying estate taxes above a certain threshold. The issue here is twofold. First, is that many of these trusts are typically registered in states with no income tax, so there's a double avoidance here. Further, the growth of these trusts has coincided with a precipitous decline in charitable donations. Nonprofits have suffered tremendously from capital flight due to these kind of trusts, which just demonstrates that a sizable portion of charitable giving was always about the tax write-off and not the cause. When all is said and done, when it comes to the United States, I think the biggest issues with offshore tax havens are inequality and influence. I think enough has been said about inequality and the downsides to this condition are well known to unfuckers, but it's influence, the first cousin of inequality, that provides the greatest threat. Money in tax havens grows at a faster rate. This allows for unabated accumulation of wealth. Again, let's do quick math from the report. The Bureau estimates that 1.5 million U.S. taxpayers hold money in offshore havens. That's 0.004% of the population. 60% of the associated funds are held by the top 10% of the 1%, the 0.001%. At best, we're talking about a couple of thousand Americans that are hiding funds that grow exponentially each year because they're putting upwards of $30 billion more each year into their pockets through tax evasion. Now, consider this. In 2022, Open Secrets reported that more than $295 million in dark money from secret donors was spent on the midterm elections alone. Some donors have come forward to reveal their donations, but the vast majority simply do not because Citizens United allowed for this to happen. In what was originally just a right-wing phenomenon, most associated with people like the Koch brothers, Democratic donors have gotten into the action to an even greater extent. One example, as Politico reported, is the 1630 Fund, a dark money pact that, quote, doled out a whopping $410 million in 2020, aiding Democratic efforts to unseat then-President Donald Trump and win back control of the Senate. It's impossible to measure the impact that dark money has had on our politics, and even more impossible, to determine how much of this might come from hidden funds accumulating in offshore tax havens. But you don't have to be a genius to put the pieces together. It's little wonder the status quo prevails in this country. Disclosures like the Pandora Papers, the work performed by the authors of the Bureau of Economic Research, and the writers at the ICIJ help paint a picture of a system rigged completely by just a handful, a handful of people propping up the media establishment paid to distract you with culture war issues and pit us against each other. And the more we fight, the more they get away with, on both sides of the aisle, all in service of the billionaire grifters. Here endeth the lesson.
1: It's the end of the episode, where we used to do show notes. Now we just talk through a few things. Reflect on what was said,
0: or what we should have done instead. Oh, post-show musings. Hey, welcome into Post-Show Musings, sitting here with 99. What's up, 99? Not much. Chilling? Yeah. she's uh, She's in full, I'm going to say Gen Z mode. She's texting right now. She's got her hat on backwards. She's sipping her big coffee. She's like, what's up?
1: <laughs> did Gen Z invent backwards hats?
0: No, I think frat boys did. Yeah.
1: Mm, yeah.
0: Um, on fuckers, I've included, obviously, all the links from the research. I would encourage you, if, if you don't want to sit through the report, which is fine, because I think we gave the salient points of the report here the the place to get really get lost is in the icij universe and i just want to go back I, I i was i was toying with putting this on the pod uh but i just released it on youtube this week was the um sort of critique of matt taibi because we've been hit up by a number of unfuckers about like you know hey man what's your take on taibi these days and uh, you still want to defend him so I, I put something together on YouTube. Please go check it out if you haven't already and if you have any questions about the state of reporting in this country. And and I'm bringing that up now because my critique of Taibi was that beyond the obvious pandering to the right-wing subscriber base that I think is really padding his pockets, I find his situation to be different than... Let's say Greenwald, who works truly, I think, at the behest of billionaires. Ben Shapiro, who works at the best of billionaires. The the whole Jordan Peterson wing of the uh, the Daily Wire and all of the associated commenters that come out of there. So you know, going dipping back into the independent platform man scenario and where all this money comes from. Joe Rogan getting a hundred million dollars from Spotify. Those are those are corporate dollars. Whereas Taibbi has very much gone it alone, but also carved out a niche where he's able to kind of game the system by ginning up a base of support among the right wing. What I found really unseemly in the past couple of years is how he's cozied up to right wing commentators on networks that do horrible things, lobbing criticism at the left wing, while sort of feigning that he's also giving a criticism of the right, but then appearing on their shows and ergo giving them some sort of validation at the same time. You can't, I think, especially after the Dominion disclosures with a straight face, appear on Tucker Carlson and not just go, if you're honest, just go completely fucking ballistic on this guy for being a liar, now known through depositions. He's just a complete fabricator. Even if you like his politics, he's a fucking cheat, right?
1: Tucker, yeah, we didn't need to depose him to find out he was a liar <laughs>
0: exactly.
1: Just watch
0: so there you know, so there's that angle of it. And the point that I was trying to make about Taibi was, I think the reason, you know, upon self-reflection, that I was less disturbed by him is that I hold him sort of in a different class. and let me let me clarify that. and I'll get to the point about the ICIJ in a second. The different class that I hold him to is that I think he's a he's a great writer. Forget about the content for a second. Just the prose itself is something that I've always uh, been, uh, frankly, a little jealous of. And there's no question that at points in my career, I tried to, I would say, imitate it. The way that he was able to break down really complex issues during the financial crisis and put it into digestible format. I don't think that without Taibbi, there's like the big short, and there's like a number of movies that come after it because I think the way he distilled that information really kind of changed the narrative about Wall Street. Yes, it introduced things like vampire squids and a lot of fun vernacular, but the, the, uh, the way that he attacked it, I think, gave people a different perspective on it and made them more willing to challenge the Wall Street establishment and, and what happened during the crisis. It's since then, it, you know, since he's gone it alone, Again, the difference between a Taibi and a Greenwald or any of the other corporate shills is that he's still kind of like, he's still so rogue because he will always bite the hand that's trying to feed him. So he, he feuded with the billionaire behind First Look and The Intercept when they tried to like mint him and, and give him his own magazine. Now he's feuding again already with Elon Musk. So it's like he's constantly willing to both, shoot himself in the foot as though he is, you know, sort of dying on on the hill, but also winning the game by ginning up a base, showing that he is independent. So he's a more complex character. Whereas Greenwald and, and the others are just simply unwilling to bite the hand that feeds them. And they also peddle in misinformation and neglect.
1: Well, he did bite the hand, the original one. It just wasn't the rich hand. Which one? more leftist didn't he start with more leftist politics who
0: greenwald? greenwald yeah meaning uh he
1: but now he's over there so he's not going to shit on them well
0: but no he he's did all, switch what i mean is he's always yes they've they have all shifted their politics but he greenwald
1: what is the hand he, that feeds them is i guess the question the hand
0: that feeds them is the billionaire that they that they work at the behest of yeah so, so i'm
1: saying he did it once he just won't do it again because they have more money
0: Well, he goes from billionaire to billionaire, whereas Taibbi just tells them all to go fuck themselves. So, you know, Greenwald works at the behest of billionaires, whereas Taibbi is just continually like charting a path on his own, but he has found his own successful lane. What does that mean at the end of the day? Probably not much, because it is all about the information that they peddle. And that's where, you know, there's, there's obviously a ton of flaws. The way I've characterized Taibbi though, in my, at least in my mind, is that he's a writer in the vein of let's say hedges and then you know i gave examples all the way back of even benjamin franklin and um
1: damn leave benny out of this
0: i know well he, he was a provocateur and he made shit up he and made he made bifocals he also and and he made electricity yeah invented that now look shit. at that
1: fucking mullet
0: i know right cool fucking all the dude. way back again mm-hmm. um so and, and probably had slaves i don't know weren't his i don't think he did it was probably he too was one late one of the outliers yeah um but uh Taibi, where was it going with that?
1: Ben Franklin. And that you were gonna say oh, something and about H. O.
0: Mencken. Him. So to me he's more Mencken, and yes, definitely Hunter S. Thompson, because I think that's you know, that's self styled and then you know purposely actualized, but not a journalist. Even Griftopia, even Hate Inc, or even the, what is it, the Insane Clown Presidency when he tore up Donald Trump, like all the books that he writes. it's a
1: really good title.
0: It is. And, and that's why the left, you know, loved him at one point. All, even all of those books are sort of sourced, but they don't have proper bibliographies. Some of the details and the way that he arrives at conclusions might be a little sketchy, but he at least had the benefit of editors back then. Right now, he's a man alone. Like he has no editors, Does he just works for the subscribers. Like even we have like some genuine editing and in in lieu of the editing that we would normally have if we were part of a journalistic endeavor, We oversource, we take great pains to oversource. That's when I was making fun of 99, for example, for like even the direct links to the YouTube clips that we have, like everything that we rely on to put this show together, you can find somewhere. And when listeners respond to us and say, I think you got this wrong, we take it up. And when we get it wrong, we admit it. It's the closest that we can come in a really small job like this. Whereas Taibbi, you know, played a little fast and loose with the facts. What I hated about the revelations that he came across, that, that he, you know, the revelations from the Twitter files is that they sucked. They were lame. They were, he broke all the fundamentals of reporting. He admitted that his source was the billionaire that was essentially giving him access to it. And then he didn't even properly contextualize it. And that's why Mehdi Hassan ate his lunch on the MSNBC thing. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Now there's blowback on that again without even getting, you know, too far into the weeds. There's people now criticizing Mehdi Hassan for his past work and blah, blah, blah. The infighting on the left is just ridiculous. But the bottom line is, I didn't find it to be reporting. I don't think he's a reporter and a journalist as much as he's tried to build himself up as that. He's a writer, he's a political commentator, he's a social commentator. And in that, he has excelled and he's built an incredible following and audience. The ICIJ, the reason I, I would encourage unfuckers to, to go down the ICIJ rabbit hole and go to their website and follow the links that we put up on, on the episode is that is reporting. If you wanna see what great reporters from all over the world, great journalists with a high level of integrity, a high level of scrutiny, and some very clear hierarchy as far as editors and filters are concerned, that's the place to take a look. That's journalism. This report, done by the uh, Economic Research Bureau, the Bureau of Economic Research, rather, and paired with the ICIJ, this is how you go after information. Now, the fact that this number has grown to $4 trillion and $1.9 trillion of it, best guessed estimates, and even they admit that these are probably low because we're not getting revelations from every single participating country, but the tax haven is hidden illegally and maybe partially fraudulent from money laundering and illicit activities and all of that stuff. The fact that this isn't the lead on every news network and every major outlet that's out there just tells you where what the state of reporting is like in this country. So That's my thoughts on journalism or the lack thereof and how we get caught up in this whole independent platform mindset of who's disseminating what information. The information and the the great reporting is just everywhere. Maybe better today than at any point in history, but they're not the loudest voices in the room and they're getting drowned out and nobody's taking the time to contextualize them. So I really hope you go to the ICIJ website for that reason and that reason alone. There we go. That's all I got. Okay. As always, on fucking the Republic, you gotta go with it because my mind is mush. Come on. I really I have a problem now. It, because I have like producing and engineering and and, and audio and, and and uh maestro and all the words just jumbled in my head because I didn't write them down. Edited and arranged by Sound Design Maestro, Manny Faces. The show is lovingly produced by my Gen Z buddy over here. Hey dude. With your backwards cap on and your your I care about nothing sort of demeanor right now. Hey, nothing bothers me, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's from. so me. Yeah. Yeah. No, the whole world it actually bothers you. Yeah. Yeah. Ninety nine carries the weight of the world on her shoulders. I want you to put that bag of bricks down. Okay, that's from Al Pacino to Keanu Reeves and *Devil's Advocate*.
1: You've been saying that to me for three years, and it's from a fucking movie. Yeah. Wow. I now, I now, I'm fucking mad.
0: Don't be mad. It's great. All the good lines come from movies. Who are you carrying that bag of bricks for, Kevin? W-
1: what else have you been saying to me that's just regurgitated?
0: Hmm. Well, oh, then I'd have to reveal all my sources and this I'm got a This is fucked reporter. up.
1: Sorry. This is fucked up.
0: Well, it, the show is produced by the. All-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful, 90-fucking-nine.
1: Bet your ass it
0: is. There you go. The original music is by superstar Tom McGovern. Tom McGovern blowing up. What did he do again? You guys were sharing that in Slack?
1: Uh, He got written up in an NBC article about using chat GPD to write songs. I was hoping it was like, he's previously written songs for podcasts, <laughs> but it
0: didn't say that. So. so Tom McGovern has now been on Jimmy Fallon.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: written up on M- on M- NBC, was it? One of them. NBC. Um, Open
1: for Tenacious D.
0: Opening for Tenacious D. Yeah, he's never going to talk to us again, is he?
1: I don't think so. Yeah, I
0: think that's a wrap. Oh, well. Remember that guy? That was fun.
1: Yeah, unfuckers, flood his comments. <laughs> Tell him fuck you for abandoning us. Just, no,
0: no, no. Tell him I know. I'm just uh, kidding, we but. we don't forget about us. Yeah. Yeah. Um what, what, what else is involved? I mean, I'm Max. I'm, I'm the host of the show. I write lots of stuff and uh and then and then I read it. And
1: um you can go to unftr.com for all your needs. You can get your coffee at unftr.com/shop/merch/merch slash bookshop. Yeah. It'll all be there. Uh, Sign up for our essays by going to unftr.com slash blog and it'll give you a roundup every Saturday morning, which includes a unique blurb from Mac, so brand new content, as well as links to this week's episodes, YouTube, etc. Yeah, I think that's, oh, go to subscribe to YouTube, youtube.com slash at unftr and uh, join the Facebook group at searching in your Google thing, unfuckers at all
0: curated by the great yes sir yes sir yes sir so if you've made it to the end of this uh, I, I feel comfortable enough putting out another plea we're going to begin our spring friend and fundraiser we need more members in order to keep this thing cranking I hate doing this but we need them so if you haven't taken out a membership but you love us please consider doing so if not if you're a coffee drinker just buy some coffee our native roasted coffee. It's the best. And uh, if you can tip us every once in a while, just do that. It all adds up and it all counts. So Bad thank you.
1: coffee.com slash There you go.
0: 99 with all the details. That's why she's the producer with the mostest. Is there a there's a better way to rhyme that? Probably not.
1: I don't know if anything rhymes with producer.
0: Okay. Deducer. She's the producer who deduces. Yeah.
1: Still doesn't rhyme.
0: It Doesn't make sense either. Bye, unfuckers.
1: Bye.